did not think about that at all. My biggest fear is falling off the stage because you might not be able to see there's a little gap behind me. So hopefully I'll be here. Um, I'm Pastor Donna, for those of you who are visiting with us today. We really welcome all the families of our worship team, and they did such a great job. We're so pleased and excited to see them up here leading with us. Um, we're continuing our series in the Book of Romans, which we've been doing for almost a year, since Romans 1. And we're coming up on the end of this section of Romans. We've been talking a lot about the challenge of loving others. And this week was an exciting week in my family in terms of loving others. My niece, Susan, had a baby this week. It's her third child. And Susan is like my third child, my other child. And Brandon, Alyssa, and I are her go-to babysitters. So she texted us Sunday night and told us that she was having contractions. We rearranged our schedules. We figured out who was going to do what. We picked up the kids, and we loved others. We bore with the weak. We sacrificed for them. Brandon and Alyssa opened their home. Kaya and Gray shared their roots and their toys. And I went over and babysat during the day. And we sacrificed and loved them. But that was easy because it's family. There's people we love that we like. And it's exciting to welcome a new baby into the family. Romans is really not talking about that kind of love. It's talking about the challenge of loving others. People that are different from us of loving others in the church, outside the church. It's submitting to governing authorities. It's dealing with conflict and loving others when there's conflict, not judging them, and just bearing with people, not exerting power over them and exerting our rights. And all of this is challenging. Today in our passage in Romans 15, verses 1 to 13, Paul concludes this practical how-to-live section of Romans 12 to 15, telling us that loving others and seeking unity is the way to glorify and praise God. It's the way to live with hope. When we strive for unity, we step into God's will as God's people, glorifying God together. We live with hope. Before I read this passage, let me warn you that these ideas are not readily apparent in this section of Romans. When I first read it, it seemed like a lot of disconnected thoughts thrown together. But as I studied it, I realized there's a theme here. So before I read it, here's some things to notice as we go through it. One is there's some repeated themes and words, like loving others, accepting others. There's praising and glorifying God, and there's hope. And the three big themes in this passage are unity, worship, and hope. There are a bunch of Old Testament verses, which Paul's Jewish readers would have understood right away. But we don't know the Old Testament as well as they did, so we won't see the point right away. And there are also two prayers in verse 5 and 13. And those two prayers connect unity, worship, and hope. And I'll talk about the Old Testament verses and these two prayers, and how they show us these three big themes, and how they highlight our reason for hope. So let's read Romans 15, verses 1 to 13. Uh, if you have a Bible app, you can read that, or just listen. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ 
did not please himself. But, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's people strive for unity. And Paul is continuing here from chapter 14, talking about the strong and the weak in verse 1, and then in verse 8, talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. And unity crosses all kinds of divides. It crosses the divides of social class, religious beliefs, ethnicity, culture, all the divides between us and our group and them, those other people, their group. And this is hard work. It is challenging to love and sacrifice and give to people who are different from us. And the first reason we strive for unity is because of the words and life of Jesus. Verse 3 says, Even Christ did not please himself. And as followers of Jesus, we think about the words of Jesus. We think about his example. If you believe Jesus died for your sins and rose again for you, then you also believe Jesus knows what's best for you and for the world. Jesus told us that the best way to live is to love your neighbor as yourself. He showed us what that looked like. And for first century people who heard Jesus, who saw him, this was a new ethic. No one had ever told them to live for others, to sacrifice for the weak, to think of others before themselves. They wanted honor, status, power, wealth. Those are the things they strove for. They didn't care at all about humility, serving, or the weak. And you can see this in the reactions to Jesus when he healed on the Sabbath, or when he touched the unclean lepers. Jesus was scorned, insulted, when he ate with tax collectors and sinners. Even the disciples struggled to love these people. They, they were surprised when Jesus talked to that outcast Samaritan woman at the well. And they argued over who was the greatest, who would be able to sit next to Jesus in heaven. They all wanted power and status, even more than people today want it. Verse 7 says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. And accepting others... Just as Christ accepted you, it is a high standard. 
It means we know how awful people are, the depths of their sin, their worst tendencies. We know how people cause us pain, inflict hurt, how they irritate us sometimes, and still we love them, accept them, care for them. It's a tall order, but we do it because we love and serve Jesus, because that's what Jesus told us. The first pe reason people, God's people strive for unity is because we love and follow Jesus. The second reason we strive for unity is because it brings praise and glory to God. Verses 6 to 7 says, So that with one mind and one voice you may glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. And unity brings glory to God. To glorify God means to acknowledge him, to acknowledge his greatness, and to honor him. It means that we bring him glory by the things we do and by the things we say. Before Jesus, before his death, Jesus prayed that God would be glorified and that the unity of the church, of God's people, would cause everyone in the whole world to acknowledge Jesus and to glorify him. We bring God glory when we worship and pray, through our words, through our songs, through our prayers. We also glorify God by our actions and our obedience, by loving others and serving and doing what God calls us to do. Our worship and our obedience glorify God. And practically speaking, this is easy to see in our own lives. It's really hard to glorify God when you are focused on differences or when you're holding grudges. It's really hard to worship and praise God, to obey and honor him, to acknowledge him when we're divided. It's kind of like you can think about when your family's coming to church and you have a fight in the car. None of you have experienced that, right? But you know, sometimes you wake up on Sunday mornings, the kids are upset, there's arguments, there's tension, things happen. You come to church and you're in turmoil and then you step out of the car and you're fine, right? But when you walk into the sanctuary, can you really praise and glorify God when you're feeling that upset? It's hard, right? Division and conflict get in the way of worshiping and glorifying God. If you're upset at others, it's hard to praise God. If someone said something irritating to you before you sat down, or if someone's in your line of vision that you really don't like, you're distracted. You might not even think about God while you're at church. It's hard to glorify God when we're divided. Ill will, bad attitude, resentment, a divided church, all those things prevent us from honoring God. And we strive for unity because unity helps us to worship God. Striving for unity is a personal challenge it's a practical matter for us in the church and for each person in it. But Paul brings the idea of unity and worship, of praising and glorifying God to another level. He's not just talking about us as individuals. He's talking about the whole world, all people in unity, glorifying God, recognizing Jesus as king and worshiping him. Colossians 1, Paul says, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
And that's what he's thinking about here, about unity on that level, where the whole world, all people, glorify God. And in verses 9 to 12, there's this string of four Old Testament verses. This is a section we usually skim over, but in these Old Testament verses, we can see Paul's key idea. As he's doing throughout the book of Romans, Paul is calling for unity between the Jews and the Gentiles, for them to be one united people in the church in Rome and everywhere. And Gentiles is not a specific people group. It's a term for everyone who is not Jewish. In the Old Testament, they're called the nations. And this group of Gentiles includes us because we are not Jewish. Israel, the Jewish people, were unique. They had a special relationship with God, called to be his covenant people. They had different laws, customs, different ways of viewing the world and relating to God than everyone else. But in Christ, God was bringing everyone together, Jews and Gentiles, everyone. And the Roman church was to strive for unity because that was God's plan all along. And that's what verses 9 to 12 tells us. Paul quotes these four verses, two from the writings of Psalms, one from Moses and the law, and one from Isaiah and the prophets. And these are the three main divisions of the Old Testament. And Paul is telling them that all of Scripture tells us this. This is a big idea in the Old Testament Scriptures. So stay with me as we briefly examine these four Old Testament verses. And if you are looking at your app or your Bible, it will help you to follow along. But in verse 9, it says, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. And this is from Psalm 1849. David praises God among the nations. They hear God praised. Then verse 10 says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. This is from Deuteronomy 32:43, where Israel is about to enter the promised land, and Moses calls the nations to praise God with them, to join them in praise. Verse 11 says, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the people extol him. This is from Psalm 117.1. Not only will the Gentiles praise God, but all the Gentiles will. And then verse 12, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. This is from Isaiah 11.10. And it's a prophecy that the Messiah would come from the line of Jesse, who was the father of King David. And Jesus came from the line of David. And it says that not only will the Gentiles praise God, they will come under his rule and reign. They will put their hope in him. They will worship and glorify God as one people. And this is confirming, in verse 8 it says, confirming the promises made to the patriarchs, that God is doing something in the world starting from way back in Genesis when he called Abraham to be his people. These four Old Testament verses trace the gospel story, the good news that Jesus came to bring forgiveness, restoration, wholeness to the world. God made a covenant with Israel, but it wasn't just for them, and it was God's intent all along to bring all people together, to bless all people through Israel. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan, and we are part of that plan. 
When we strive for unity, we step into God's will, into God's gospel story. We step into God's will as part of the plan to bless the world. That's why we strive for unity, because it glorifies God. We are part of what God is doing in the world. And here in Romans 15, Paul is bringing us back to see the redeeming, restoring work of the gospel that he started back in Romans 1. You may not remember this, but we started in Romans 1-1 with this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And Romans 1:16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentiles. This is our basis for hope, that God is at work in our world, and he is doing what he said he would do. We have hope because God is faithful, sovereign, in control. He keeps his promises, and he cares for his people. And we can follow him, and we can trust him. He calls us to love others, even when it seems impossible. He calls us to be a blessing, and in so doing, to step into the gospel story, and glorify him. And we can live with peace and with joy and hope and faith because God is faithful. And whatever's going on in your life right now, God is faithful. In these uncertain times, this is the certainty we anchor our faith, our hope on. We see the challenges, the division, the mess in our world. But we can also look beyond that and see that God is at work that God is good and powerful and faithful, and that God fulfills his plans and his promises. As a church, we are about to make another shift. It is a joy to next week be able to return to the sanctuary, to return home, and to worship together inside. It's a good week. It's a good thing. But it will be different. We know that you've experienced a lot of change and upheaval, and some of you will come back right away, and some of you will wait a little bit longer when we move indoors. We know that some people have left and gone to other churches, and we know that there will be new, new people joining us. Our ministries will look different. We look forward to seeing our families and our kids join us again, but we know that kids are at greater risk, so children's ministries will take a little longer to prepare and to keep our kids safe. Our usher greeter ministry will be different. Just as we've been doing here, we won't have paper bulletins and we won't collect offerings in the service. So our usher greeter ministry will really focus on being warm and welcoming, and we're gonna call it the welcome ministry instead. And we hope you'll all be glad to see each other and you'll all be warm and welcoming. One of the nice things about this outdoor service is that the chairs are in different places and you have to sit next to different people. You don't have your regular seats with your regular friends. And hopefully that will continue. You'll sit with other people, talk to other people, and cross all the divides in our church. We do hope to have coffee and refreshments, but not right away, sadly. We won't do that at the beginning, and we know that's the highlight for some of you. So we hope you'll be able to talk and fellowship and enjoy one another without eating. You can do it. And at least for the first few weeks, we will space the chairs out. 
We will be limited to about 65 people. We will wear face masks. You will need to sign up, and sign-ups will start tomorrow. You can use the same link you've been using. It's on the app and the website and in our weekly email. When California reopens on June 15, we will reevaluate and think about what is safe and comfortable for us. And we'll listen to you. We'll listen to your feedback and your opinions, but we probably won't make everyone happy. We will seek the Spirit's wisdom and leading. So please pray for us as we make decisions. I hope many of you will join us this Thursday at our Zoom prayer meeting because we need your prayer and we also need your help. And we hope you'll commit to serve with us. And I won't lie, this all looks daunting to me. Change and uncertainty are not my favorite things. And my natural tendency is to want everyone to be happy. It's tempting to judge my effectiveness by how happy you are and how many of you come to church. But that's not healthy, and it's not God's measure of success either. God calls us to trust and follow him, even when we feel uncertain, even when we're unhappy with things. But God is at work in this broken world, bringing redemption and restoration, and he uses us. We are his plan to bless the world, and he wants to work in the church and in you and in your family. You are part of that plan. We are to be God's people, glorifying God together and to live with hope, not hope in ourselves and what we can do or what we see, but hope in a God who is faithful. I can see the uncertainty and feel stressed, or I can see God and feel secure. Whatever challenges you're facing, God is faithful. God is the God of hope. He's a God who gives endurance and encouragement when we ask him. You can see your struggles and hardships, or you can look beyond them and see God, a God who is faithful, who is good, and who loves you. We are to live with purpose, to not conform to the values and the lifestyles of the world around us, to be transformed, to live with purpose, to be a sacrifice, to be a living sacrifice and to live for God. We're to be disciples of Jesus, of King Jesus, and to pursue kingdom living with God, under God, and for God. And when we, we step into God's will and we serve him and glorify him by our unity, by our worship, and by our hope, we live with joy, with peace, and with hope as God's people. In Romans 15, 5 and 13, there are two prayers that Paul prays for the Romans and for us. And as we close, I want to pray these fifteen five. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a good God, that you love us, that you care for us, that you are faithful, even though we can't always see it. Thank you that we can trust you. And as we sing and worship you, we glorify you and praise you 
for your faithfulness and your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.